This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. Did you guys get confused when I walked up here earlier? You're like, wait a minute, it's not his time yet. He's not supposed to be up here yet. We're still singing. (laughs) Well, if you're just coming in, today is... Like we said, the beginning of the Advent season, and it's a time traditionally in the church where we we take the slow down and we take to uh, focus our hearts on the coming of Jesus to earth. And for me, I'm a traditions guy. Are there anybody anybody else in here traditions people? I'm I'm a traditions guy. Yeah, there's a few of you. I I love I love tradition, and Advent is a church tradition. But I I I love traditions, especially really after having. Well, getting married and then having kids, I begin to realize that I really enjoy, I really like traditions. And so, um, I, like, they matter to me. Like, I like having a special time to decorate the tree. Anybody else? Like, some people, they just want to get the tree up. I enjoy having the special time where you decorate the tree, you put on the Christmas music, right? You slow down. I like putting up the Christmas lights um, on the house. Like, this year, we got to put up the Christmas lights. I got to put them up, and, and Gideon helped me, my two-year-old son. Although more than like help me, he really just like pulled stuff out and like ran in the street several times and it was just kind of crazy, but they're up at my house and it was fun. But I, I like the traditions. I think a lot of that started because of my family, my mom and dad, you know, they made holiday traditions really fun. They made holiday traditions really special. And so I remember being a kid and I remember being young and I, I remember like we would decorate the tree together and there was like a special night where we would come together and we'd decorate the tree and, and there'd be Christmas music playing and my mom would make sausage balls. Anybody like sausage balls? You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, there's something wrong with you. But I remember that they'd make sausage balls and it was just, it was just a special time. And each family kind of has their own family traditions. We all kind of have um, certain traditions that we do. Even if your family's family tradition is we don't have family traditions, you still have a tradition of trying to be cool and not have traditions, okay? So you're not cool. We know, right? Um, but but we all have our family traditions. As a matter of fact, as I was kind of looking at this, there's different kind of cool Christmas traditions around the world. Some are cool. Some of them are kind of weird, right? Like I found one. Maybe you guys have heard of this one. There's a tradition in Germany and Spain of the Christmas pickle. Anybody heard of the Christmas pickle? We got some Germans in here, I guess. So the Christmas pickle is an old tradition. If you don't know, go home and get a Christmas pickle. It's an old tradition where they would take an ornament that's like a, a pickle and you would hide it on the tree. And then what the, the idea was, someone would try, whoever gets up Christmas morning and finds the pickle first gets like an extra present. Sounds like a pretty cool tradition, right? right? Then there's another one I found in Japan on Christmas. They don't eat ham or turkey. You know what they eat? Sushi. No, not sushi. They eat fried chicken. Who would have seen it go in that direction, right? Like they said, it's such a big tradition in Japan that even people who don't celebrate Christmas at all aren't even Christians. They just like they just eat fried chicken during December. And so there's like always a shortage of KFC in Japan because it's such a big deal. I found another one, and I hope I said this name right, the weirdest one that I hope does not come over here in Austria and Germany called Krampus. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know this was news to me, but it's this guy who dresses up like a scary goat. Like I looked up pictures of this online. We have one for you. No, I'm just kidding. We don't. That would be weird. It's like this weird, like demon looking goat, evil looking thing. And he just goes in the streets and tries to scare kids. Why? 
right? Like, whose idea is that, right? So I don't know what your family traditions will be. I ho- hopefully it's not that crimp, crumpus one, but we all have them, right? And, and what's interesting is as Christians and as being a part of the church, if you're a Christian in here today, you get to partake in certain family traditions. And so on this Advent season, we want to talk about some of the ways that Christmas reveals to us some of the family traditions that we get to partake in being a part of the family of God, being children of God. And so today, one of the first things I want to do is, in order to look at Christmas, I want to kind of begin in the Old Testament and look at a story in the Old Testament that foreshadows a family tradition that we get to see revealed, we get to see actualized in Christmas. And so that, that first Christmas, there's a lot of things that God did to bring us to that point, that first like baby in manger. He just wasn't just like, all right, Jesus, manger now, right? There's a lot of things that God worked out and God did to bring us to this point throughout history. And a lot of those things happened in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when we look at the Bible, oftentimes we, we think of it in two different things. Like there's the Old Testament God, there's the New Testament God, but they're one and the same God. Like he's the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New. And what's interesting about the Old Testament is when you read it and we understand it, the entire Old Testament, what it's doing is pointing to this moment in history where we see God revealed to us through Jesus Christ in the flesh. And so the whole Old Testament, all of those stories are foreshadowing and pictures that are pointing to the coming of Jesus. And one of those stories starts back with the nation of Israel. And where we see, where we're going to kind of pick up in this story, what has happened is God has promised the Israelite people that they're going to be this incredible nation. He promises the Hebrew and Israelite people that he's going to build them up. He's going to make them a great nation, that he's going to bless the entire world through them. And we see that actually when he makes this promise, he makes this promise to a guy named Abraham, who's kind of the beginning of this family, the beginning of this, these people. In Genesis chapter 17, the Bible says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. So God is coming to Abraham and telling him these things. Then Abraham fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will become the father of many nations. And your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you, and I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring before you. It's a pretty cool promise, isn't it? Like a pretty big deal. And what we have is God coming to Abraham and telling him, I'm going to, I'm going to build up a people through you. I'm going to build up a nation through you. One that's going to bless the world. One that's going to impact the world. That's it. That's like a heavy thing to hear, right? It's also an exciting, it's also an exciting thing to hear. And this conversation between God and Abraham, where he changes his name from Abram to Abraham is really the beginning of the Hebrew people, the Israelite people and the Jewish religion. And so God makes these incredible promises to Abraham, but where we're going to pick up in the story, it doesn't really look like these promises are going to come true. <laughs> Matter of fact, it really is going to look like it's basically impossible. 
for these promises to come true. Because after God makes these promises to Abraham, some good things happen to him. He has some sons and uh, he has, his family begins to grow and get bigger and larger. And there's people that we hear about in the Bible, like Jacob and Esau. And he has a grandson named Joseph that we hear about. And they begin to prosper. And for a long time, things go really, really well for Abraham's family. And it seems like God is fulfilling his promise. And it seems like this is all going to come true and it's all going to happen. But where we pick up in the story, it almost seems like a lie. Because what we're going to pick up in the story, the Hebrew people, the grandchildren of Moses, are now slaves to the Egyptian empire. That promise seems far away. It seems like a lie. And where we pick up in the story, Pharaoh has just commanded the killing of all male children in Egypt. Well, all male Hebrew children in Egypt. And he does this because he's afraid of the Hebrew people that the, his slaves are going to rise up and revolt. Exodus one twenty two says, Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw away every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Merry Christmas. So we see this, God make this incredible promise to Abraham. And then we pick up here a few hundred years later, they've been slaves for 400 years. They've been told that all their male children are about to be murdered by the king, by the Pharaoh. Could you just imagine sitting in that for a minute? Like I know we're thousands of years later and probably feel pretty removed from it, but could you just like as a people, you would know those promises that God has made to you as a people. You would remember those promises that God had made to you. And here yet here you are a slave being beaten, being abused, being forced to work against your will, hearing that all of your, that your children are about to be murdered. Like if, if we could just put ourselves in their mindset, I would imagine that they are feeling absolutely lost and absolutely hopeless. And I would, at the risk of heresy, I would bet that they're probably questioning God. Wouldn't you be? Like, I would bet that they're questioning God. They're questioning about the promises. They're asking him, how could you do this, God? Why would you allow this to happen? And, and I'm sure that none of us have probably been in this situation, but I'm sure that there's times in our own lives where we ask God some questions ourselves, right? Like we question God and what he's doing and how he's allowed this to happen. And God, I thought you were going to prosper me. And God, I thought you were going to do this in my life. And God, I thought this and that. And what, what's going on? And at the, the moment where we come into the story, that's exactly where the Israelite people are in a very real way. They're feeling lost. They're feeling hopeless. And the Bible says that they cried out to God for help. Exodus 2.23 says, after a long time, the king in Egypt died. So the king that had uh, ordered all the killing of the children passed away. And the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help ascended to God because of the difficult labor. So God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. Now, if you can just imagine where they were before, all, everything that they're feeling, everything that they're struggling through, everything that they're suffering, and it says that they cried out to God. And I just love, for me, I love like just the last three Three words of that verse. He took notice. Like if this was a movie, and I have a feeling that this might have been a movie before. 
if this was a movie, like you know the moment that just happened here. Like you're watching a movie and you're watching the hero as he's getting beat up and abused and you think there's no way out and like everything's just like going bad and like we're all going to die and like I thought this was going to be a happy movie and it's a sad movie and then you hear those words, he took notice and all of a sudden the music changes, right? All of a sudden music changes and you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your soul, you're like something's about to happen, man. Something good's about to happen, something's about to change, he took notice, Something's about to be different here. Everything's not hopeless like I thought it was because he took notice because God knew their struggle. It says he took notice. And if you're feeling like things are about to change, it's because they're about to change. Because our God isn't some far off God who doesn't hear their cries. He's a God who hears their pain, who takes notice of their pain. I want you to know today, if this is a season that's hard for you, if this is a season that's difficult for you, I want you to hear, I want you to know that God takes notice of you. I want you to know that God hears your pain, that God hears your struggle, that he takes notice of you. And it says that God took notice, and not only does he take notice, because to take notice is one thing, but it says, but he intervenes in the story. And he intervenes in one of the most incredible ways. There's this baby who's born. And this baby who's born, his name is Moses. And God does this crazy thing with Moses. He's this, the baby who was born. You remember a few years back before this verse where it says that, where I read you earlier, that says Pharaoh ordered the killing of all the Hebrew men, children. This crazy thing happens. He's, this baby Moses is one of the children who's supposed to be murdered in this thing. And yet what happens is his mom takes him in her fear and puts him in a basket and sticks him in a river and floats him down the river. Now, I know in church, we've kind of gotten used to this story, but how crazy is that? Right? Like, hide him in the back bedroom. Like, hide him under a bed or something, right? I don't know. What she does is she sticks him in a basket, floats him down <laughs> a river, and then baby Moses is found by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he's brought into the palace of the very same man who had ordered him murdered. I mean, I feel like we're too familiar with this story if that doesn't amaze you. Only our God does something like this. A child who's supposed to be murdered, a man who ordered his killing, he's stuck in a basket, floated down a river, found by the daughter of the king who ordered him dead, and now is going to be raised as a son of that king. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so what happens is Moses gets raised in the house of the king with all the benefits of being the son of the king. He has the wealth of the king. He has the schooling of a king's son. He has the influence of the king, which is going to matter later on in this story. And so here he is, this boy being brought up to life, a boy who should have been killed, being raised up as the son of the very man who tried to kill him. And things go really well for Moses for a while. And then he begins to wrestle with his identity. He begins to wrestle with who he is. And it's kind of a long story, but he kills a guy, kind of an unexpected turn. And he runs away. And so Moses runs away and he finds a new family. He starts a new life. But guess what? God wasn't done with him yet. You know why God wasn't done with him yet? Because God had taken notice of the pain of the Israelites and God had a plan to set them free. And so God goes to Moses in the burning bush 
You know it, you've seen it. And he says, hey, Moses, I'm sending you. I've heard my people's cries. I'm sending you. And what happens is Moses makes a whole bunch of excuses like we like to do, right? Let me tell you why I can't. Let me tell you why I can't. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you. And God basically says, I'm God, go. It's my version of it. And Moses says, okay, fine. And so he sends Moses and goes to the Pharaoh. And what's interesting, I said his influence would come in, the influence that he would have because he was raised as son of a king would come in and be important. It matters here because he's able to go to the Pharaoh and get get a meeting with the Pharaoh because he had been in that house before. You hear what I'm saying? There was no other Israelite, there was no other Hebrew man or woman who could walk in and say, hey, I'd like to meet with the Pharaoh, please. You know what would happen? Dead. They would get killed. And yet Moses, because God had previously placed him in the Pharaoh's household, was able to walk in and say, hey, I'd like to talk to the king. And I want you to notice that even in the midst of an evil Even in the midst of an evil like the murder of all of these children that Pharaoh had ordered before, God takes that evil thing that had been done. He didn't cause it, but he takes that evil thing that had been done, and he's able to turn it into good. He's able to take Moses and use this situation to place Moses in the household of the Pharaoh. I think that's important for us to remember because there's oftentimes when we walk through difficult times, we walk through stuff and maybe we're questioning God and we're going, God, why is this happening? What's going on here? I don't deserve this. This isn't fair to me. This isn't whatever. What we need to be able to step back and remember is, okay, see the big picture. God can still take this thing and he can twist it around and do what only God can do and he can use it for your good. He can use it for your sanctification. He can use it to transform you and make you more like Jesus. And so Moses goes to the Pharaoh, and after God tells him to, and he says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know what the Pharaoh says? Somebody's read this story before. And so God goes, all right, water to blood. Then he comes to the Pharaoh again, let my people go. No, thousands of frogs everywhere, right? Let my people go. No, insects everywhere. Let my people go. No, livestock dead. Let my people go. Fiery hell falling from the skies. This is the point in the story. If I was the Pharaoh, I'd be like, okay, take them and go, right? <laughs> Seriously, like there's fire coming from the sky. This is where I'm out. But not Pharaoh. He keeps going. Pharaoh, no. Then there's locust and darkness. And finally, the same thing happens to Pharaoh that his father had commanded before his firstborn son dies. And at that point, he gives in. And he releases the Hebrew people and they wander the desert for a long time. And eventually they end up in the promised land. They get the Ten Commandments. They become this incredible nation. And they have incredible kings like King David and King Solomon that we read about. All of these things that if you would have looked at the story at the beginning of the story had seemed impossible. And it was impossible because they were slaves. But we have a God who comes to set the slaves free, don't we? We have a God who comes to set the slaves free. What's interesting about this entire story, though, to me, is that you guys remember, as we kind of backtrack this, you remember how I read the verse to you that said, and God took notice. You're like, of course we do, Mike. You spent a whole lot of time on it. (laughs) Remember that verse? And God took notice, said that God heard their cries. What's interesting about that verse is that that verse happens chronologically years 
and years after God had already placed Moses in the household of the Pharaoh. You notice that? It says God took notice, God heard their cries, and that moment where we read that verse, God had already put Moses in the household of the Pharaoh years before. They cried out, God heard their cry, but I don't want you to miss that God had already been working to intervene in their story. God had already been working for years to set them free. Long before they cried out, he had already been putting things in motion to set them free from slavery. Long before they even knew that they need to be set free. God had put Moses in the household of the Pharaoh to set them free. We have a God who is reaching into history, hearing the cries of his people and intervening to change the world. And what I want you to know today, River Church, is that no matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're struggling with, I want you to hear and understand and know that you have a God who sees you, that you have a God who hears you, you have a God who loves you, and a God who intervenes on your behalf, even if you don't know that you need it yet. Even if you haven't cried out for it yet, God is working and intervening and active in your life. Like that is the story of Jesus in the flesh, intervening, coming to earth before we even know that we need salvation. A God who loves you and a God who hears you. And so what I want you to feel today is I want you to know that you are never alone. You are never hopeless. You have a church, one that loves you, which is important. But even more than that, you have a God who loves you a God who hears you. And to be heard is a very, very important thing. Like I have talked about him earlier. I have a two-year-old son, Gideon, and he's kind of wild and crazy. Like if you know him, you're like, that is the crazy kid. I was trying to rent him out earlier and nobody would take him. It's kind of hurtful. But uh, I, Gideon, I love him. He's like, I love him to death. He is, uh, he's like my joy, right? But sometimes he's crazy and he's all over the place. And so I have to like kind of grab him and slow him down and go, Gideon, do you hear me? You hear me? Gideon, do you hear me? He goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he just takes off and he's gone, right? He, didn't hear. he, he knew I, he had to say, yes, sir. That's all he heard, right? But what's funny is he's flipped that on us now. So we'll be, I'll be on my phone. He's trying to talk to me or watching TV or whatever. I mean, I'm not. Other parents, I'm sure, do that. Not me. I pay attention to my son all the time. <laughs> just kidding. And... uh I'll be doing whatever, and he'll be talking to me and trying to get my attention. And he'll, when he knows I'm not paying attention, he'll put his hand on my hand, or he'll just, you know, grab. He's grabbed me by the face before, or he'll, you know, whatever. And he'll go, "Hear me, Dada. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me." Yeah, buddy, I hear you. Because to be heard by his dad is a very important thing to him. To be heard by our father is a very important thing. And what I want you to understand today is that you have a father who hears you. You have a father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, and no matter where you are today, he hears you. Just like he heard the Israelites, he hears you. And he intervenes on your behalf. And just like for the Israelites, when he was already intervening, he had already put a plan in place. He was already working before they even cried out. 
When you cry out to your heavenly father, the things that you need, the things that you cry out for, they're not news to him. He's already actively working in your life for your trans, for your transformation, for your good, for your healing, for your sanctification. God hears you. And then we have something else interesting that happens because that story of in Egypt isn't the end of the story. As a matter of fact, that story in Egypt is a foreshadowing of another story. And a few years later, some 1,400 years later, I think it was, nobody fact check me. A few years later, there's another baby who's born and there's another, who, another king who wants to kill him. Matthew chapter 2 tells a story of Jesus being born and there's King Herod who's scared and nervous and disturbed that it literally says he's disturbed that this king was born and so he's asking everybody where he's at. He wants to find him so he can kill him and the wise men trick him. They lie to him about where they're at. And then in verse 6, I'm going to skip down to verse 6. In verse 6, after he realizes that he's been lied to by the wise men and that Jesus had escaped with his parents, he's a baby, they escaped. Says Herod saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men. He flew into rage and he gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. So here we have once again another king trying to kill the one who God is sending to save his people. And once again, our God steps in. And once again, our God moves. But this time, He's not just intervening to set them free from an evil king. He's not just intervening to set them free from physical slavery. This time he's intervening and we see our God intervening to fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham that he would bless the world, that through the lineage of Abraham, because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, this is the final fulfillment, the final promise that where God said, I'm going to bless the world through your lineage. He sends not just a Moses, not just another person, not just another human being to set them free. He literally comes himself in the flesh. God in the flesh come to set his people free and not free, again, not freedom from an evil ruler, but freedom from sin, death, hell, shame, the grave forever. Somebody say amen. And the whole Bible points to this moment in time. The story of Moses, God raising up somebody to set his people free from slavery is a foreshadowing of this moment of a God who hears you, who sees you, and has come himself to intervene on your behalf so that you can be set free from sin, death, hell, and the grave so that you can have life and life everlasting. He didn't send anybody else. He didn't send Gabriel. He didn't send another angel. He didn't say, hey, let's find somebody. Can somebody go down there? He said, I'm going to go. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to change the world. And we see this promise. I love this. In Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33, the angel comes to Mary and he says, now listen, Mary. He says, listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called son of the most high the th and the, th the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Does that sound good to anybody else? 
that verse, those words scream the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago, that God has come to save you. He's come to save us from ourselves. And just like the Hebrews in Egypt cried out asking God to help them, and God heard their cries, but Moses was already on the way long before they heard their cries. That same God today, when you cry out to him today for salvation, when you cry out to him today for help, when you cry out for him to him today for hope, guess what? That God hears your cries, but he's already sent the answer. He's already sent help. Help is already, he has already intervened on your behalf. You don't have to wait for him. He's already here. So what I want for you to know today, River Church, is that maybe you need to cry out to him. Maybe you need something from God today, but I want you to know that he hears you, he sees you, and he is at work and your life. And what I want you to know on this first Advent Sunday, as we celebrate, as we slow down, as we anticipate, (laughs) we even change up the room and turn off a bunch of lights, (laughs) that God is not some distant force far away from you, that he is a God who sees you, who knows you, and has come to your rescue. And he is a God who on this Advent Sunday, who gives you hope no matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, no matter where you are. And that River Church is a family tradition. As Christians, as members of the body of Christ, one of the beautiful family traditions that we celebrate and that we have is that no matter where we are, we will always have hope. And that's something that we can always trust in. That's something that we can always rely on. And I don't know, maybe you... You know, maybe you grew up in a family that you couldn't count on. Maybe you grew up in a family that you couldn't really trust in. They weren't really dependable. They didn't really speak life into you and lift you up and build you up. But what I want you to know is that's not the case in the family of God. That's not the face. That's not the case with our Heavenly Father. Maybe you had a dad who never heard you, never understood you, never intervened on your behalf. That's not who our God is. We have a father who offers us hope, who is here with you, who cares for you, who fights for you, who sees you and hears you, and who came into history to intervene on your behalf. In Jesus, we see hope actualized in a person. And that is our God. And so as the band comes out, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to worship him today for these truths. And if you need to cry out to him today, if you need to feel heard, if you need a God who hears you today, I want you to know he hears you. Cry out to him today. If you, maybe you're here today and you're going, man, that hope that Mike's talking about, that God who hears me and sees me and intervenes, I don't even know that God. I want you to know that God today. I want you to give your life to that God. I want you to back up and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Heal me. Give me hope. Give me life. I want to give myself to you today. I want you to know that hope. I want you to know that life today. Amen? So what we're going to do today, River Church, is we're going to worship our God for that very first family tradition. Because of our God, we have hope. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truths of your word, that you are a God who in the darkest of circumstances offers your people hope and life and healing and forgiveness. Jesus, I pray that we would find that in this space today, God. If we don't know you, if we haven't experienced you, Jesus, I pray that we would today. God, no matter the circumstances, you offer life. And so help us to find that today. It's in Christ's name. Amen.